Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of the Reaching the Summit podcast. My name is Todd Buckingham. You can find me on Twitter at Reach Summit Pod. This is Zachary Dosh, and you can find me on Twitter at Zachary Dosh. This is Greg Steeman, and you can find me on Twitter at Greg Steeman. So Todd's got the interesting name. Zach, you and I are pretty boring. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yep. Well, for today's episode, we are going to make you listen to us for 20 minutes, and then we'll go to an interview with uh, Coach Paul Mills of Oral Roberts University. And what we wanted to focus on today was the preseason poll came out with the Summit League. We also did our own power rankings, one through 10. We wanted to kind of just talk a little bit about that. And so for the preseason poll from the Summit League, Greg, you said that you had that in front of you. Would you be able to go through the 10 just in order? Absolutely. We got South Dakota State uh, on the top, 23 first place votes. North Dakota State second with seven first place, first place votes. ORU third with six first place votes. Then we've got USD at four, Western Illinois at five, Kansas City at six, UND at seven, Omaha at eight, Denver at nine, and St. Thomas at 10. So there we have it. Zach, what were your initial thoughts with the with the 10? Anybody that's way out of order or any initial well, thoughts with it? Yeah, you know, so I think the first three are well-established, and, and we're going to talk about them plenty. So I think we can kind of set the top three aside for right now. Uh, and so it really kind of gets to the the four, five, six, seven, eight, pretty much. And uh, I, I think the, the biggest one that seems to have the most variability is South Dakota. And that's because uh, they lost a tremendous amount from last year, obviously, well over 50% of their scoring. And A.J. Plitzelwhite, Stanley Mude. It doesn't sound like A.J. Plitzelwhite's going to play at all this year, though, right, guys? No. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, yep. so, so there, there goes at least over 50% of their scoring. Um, but, you know, Coach Lee has been in this situation before. And he's, he's a little bit of a kingmaker, especially when it comes to their point guards. And so the question is, is who's going to fill particularly uh, A.J. Plitzelwhite's role? And I'm wondering if it's not going to be Mason Archambault. I mean, he kind of had that role a little bit in junior college last year. He kind of didn't quite find a, a role. Um, he definitely has the ability to fill it up. Uh, I could see bringing him off the screens would be very uh, deadly. I mean, very lethal. It could definitely stir the, the pot. The rest of the guys on the team have been always kind of more complimentary players. Um, so I'm really curious to see what they do because they brought in very little. They lost a lot and brought in very little. That, that either means they're extremely confident about who they have and then maybe that four ranking is solid, or maybe they were after some guys and it didn't quite come together, and now they're trying to put together the pieces with what they have. Uh, so I don't know which one it is. Um, so I could see them anywhere from really fourth to uh, seventh or eighth, really. Uh, I think Western Illinois and Kansas City are going to be very good. I think they're very established, and there's definitely less question marks about them than some of these other teams. Uh, North Dakota. You know, they're, uh, they, they, they lost a lot from last year. There's no getting around that. Um, they do still have Ben Tupanoam, who was a tremendous producer for them down the stretch and, and a source of leadership. Um, so it, it's they at least bring some of their leadership back. That's what I think is, is key about some of these teams is they don't necessarily have their leadership back. They're still trying to find their identity. But I think UND does have the majority of their leadership back. Uh, and then Omaha, you know, Omaha is really interesting. They They kind of assembled the all Omaha team. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, they got a couple transfers back and um, it looks like they have some talent. Now, how it all comes together, I don't know, but having a good amount of talent is a great place to start from. Any coach will start from there. Right. So especially Darren Hanson, he's brought teams together before. So it wouldn't surprise me to see them come together, but we just haven't seen it yet. And then Denver, you know, I mean, they talked very highly of their roster. They expect to bounce back quickly. This isn't a two or three year thing with them. So, you know, overall, I think the order is probably pretty decent, you know, anywhere from four to nine, they're going to bounce around a lot. But for, to me, South Dakota is the one that could move the most out of the soul group. Yeah, Zach, you make a lot of really good points. And, and I think it's, it's so interesting coming off of last year, when you look at nobody losing years of eligibility, people that came back and, uh, and and then the transfer portal, you know, you factor all those things in 
And it's going to be extremely interesting to, to see how it all shakes out. Comateros for USD really stepped into a, a primary role once AJ went down, and I thought it was really important for USD success down the stretch. And uh, Xavier Fuller, uh, a guy that they're counting on, I think he's going to be kind of that guy. You talked about it, Todd. Who steps into AJ Plitzway? Well, there is no other AJ Plitzway uh, on USD's roster. Maybe not even in the league, but at the same time. I think Fuller is going to have a have a, an important role for USD success. It's going to be interesting to see where they end up. I, I think when you look at Western Illinois, I look at what Coach Jeter has done. He's found a way to get talent um, in, in, into Macomb, and and I, I think they proved it last year. They were they were a tough out, and Kansas City is such a style of play team. The the way they want to play, they're going to get after you. Their defense travels. They're always a nightmare to prepare for, just because you just you you don't know what to expect, but you know they're gonna they're gonna get up into you every night wherever you're at. So I think it's gonna be interesting. I'll, I'll echo what Zach said: South Dakota State, North Dakota State, ORU. I, I, personally, I voted North Dakota State number one just because of what Dave has assembled from a talent standpoint, from a length standpoint, from a skill standpoint. South Dakota State definitely earned the number one seed because when you look at what they have, maybe the biggest wild card this season going into the summit league play is going to be where is Noah Friedel at? And if there's a coach in the league that you trust more than, than Eric Henderson, I don't know of one. I mean, there, there's so many great coaches in the league, but Eric Henderson is not going to put Noah Friedel on the floor and, and, to, and forsake his well-being. If, Nor if Noah Friedel is ready to play, the kid's going to really impact them. And I, he's one of the most dynamic players in the Summit League this season and for a lot of seasons. So, uh, Zach, I echoed some of your points. I probably threw some other things out. Todd, I'm not sure what you think about the rest. But, you know, when you talk about Denver, nine new players, the transfer portal is going to be so intriguing, not only for the Summit League, but for so many other mid-major mid leagues throughout the country. Right. Well, and I mean, we're back to having a non-conference schedule, and that's such yeah. an incredibly important part of the year that we didn't have last night. You know, right. it's interesting. Western Illinois basically took the first, like, at least half of the year, and it was like an audition for all their players. I remember trying to prepare, and they were literally playing different lineups every night, and yeah. then kind of down the stretch, like, just in time, they started to kind of lock in, and that's when Colton Sanders moved over to point guard and all this stuff, and then they started to become a pretty good team down the stretch. And so, you know, I don't expect the, the first half of this year to be the audition. For some of these teams, the non-conference schedule is probably going to be that audition. They're going to give a lot of guys opportunities, and then they're really going to try to lock it right before that conference season starts. So uh, it's going to be a battle. I mean, these, these guys are they're, – they're, all these teams are good. I feel like the, the level of talent is going to be about as high as it's ever been in this conference. You're right. I mean, whether it's the, the super senior role or transfers in, what have you, um, a lot of these programs are benefiting from whether it be power five conferences, uh, letting guys go or, you know, they're not being spots on the power five conferences because all those guys are coming back that all these guys are staying on these, on, on these squads. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, I just can't wait to see what some of these teams look like. Yeah, Zach, I, I love the point about Western Illinois trying to figure out what they had last year. And now they come into this year with most of the the prime candidates at the last end of the year back. Plus, they added a, a, a big guard by the name of Trenton Massner, who played at a little bit lower level at Northwestern State, but averaged over 13 points, almost five rebounds, two and a half or three assists, something like that. Just this kind of do everything guard. And I, I, so I think they're just more talented and coach Jeter has that chance to, to finally put his stamp on exactly what the team looks like, which I think will be a good thing for Western. It, the more I think about it, they feel like the, I think the top three are, are set, you know, barring something happening, yeah. but that, that, that next team starts feeling more and more like Western Illinois. Yeah. And Another thing I don't know I don't know why I spend my Sundays probably because I'm a Vikings fan so I so I need to spend <laughs> my time thinking about uh, um, Summit League basketball instead of missed field goals but uh, but I was thinking about South Dakota today and 
South Dakota fans gave me a, a lot of grief last year because I kept kind of saying I'm waiting and seeing with South Dakota. They, their first eight games or so in conference play were against some of the bottom teams in the league. So their record was great, but it, it not that you have to beat who's in front of you, but it still didn't, I wasn't sure. And, and they finished at the top of the league. And so I, I got to thinking about when South Dakota state loses a bunch of players and we go, oh, well, maybe we should put them third or maybe we should put, the, you know, two or three years ago that happened. And, of course, they're at the top of the league. Some of these teams just rebuild and put play, put uh, the next man up is really that good of a player. And maybe South Dakota, that is them. It's just really hard given what they lost. Yeah. And I'm just not sure who the guy that you put the ball in their hands to get it to other players. I think Xavier Fuller can score. But is he the guy you give the ball to? Who's the guy that gets it to to him to to make that happen? That's and Tassos was great down the stretch. He, he was on the second team uh, preseason second team. Uh, is it? Do we just never know? Is that guy gonna go from an eight point guy to a 12, 13 point guy? Yeah. Uh, but the good news is we I put them sixth when I did my my preview on the website. And and if they finish fourth, South Dakota fans will remind me of that. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, th- this is definitely a little bit of a leap of faith. And I think like that's kind of where I was going with my line of thinking, too, Todd, is that, all right, we don't exactly see it from South Dakota, but we've been in this situation before. And Todd Lee, he, like I said, he's almost kind of like a kingmaker a little bit where A.J. Plitzel White, not taking anything away from him. He's a very good player. But Todd Lee took a guy who didn't have any Division One offers out of high school and made him, like, I, I don't know if people forget, but he was literally, he was probably the front runner for the conference player of the year with, like, probably three or four weeks left in the conference play. I mean, he was probably a little ahead of Max Asmus. That's when he was going crazy. He was having, like, 35, 12 assist games, like, left and right. And so, you know, could he do that with Cruz Perro Hunt? He kind of did that a little bit whenever A.J. Plitzel was on last year. Is it Mason Archambault? I don't know. We'll see. But uh, you do have to factor in the coach's ability to pull it all together and their track record of having doing that in the past into these rankings, I think, at this point. Yeah, and just, and just quick on Kansas City, it to pick, I picked them fourth when I did the preview, and the easy <laughs> comeback to that is how do you pick a team that lost a guy like Brandon McKissick to, to actually do better than they did the year before. Um, yeah. and, and I think some of that just comes down to when I think fourth in the league, that's around 500, maybe a little above. And, and Greg brought up this point. It's just that constant defense. They're going to be in every game. I, they're, to, they're going to be around 500. They also bring back Arkel Lamar, who only played in a handful of games last year. And if you remember, he was the guy that transferred from UMBC, but then didn't play till halfway through the season, maybe even a little bit more, played a couple games and everybody went, who the heck's this six foot four, 230 pound guy full of muscle that's doing all these things. Then he got hurt and missed the end of the year. Um, that I, I think, and then they bring in a couple, a point guard, Evan Gilliard, who I don't remember where he played before, but a ball handler, which they need. I, I could, I just think they've done enough to cover up the loss of McKissick. And, and to some extent, not having a guy that just is always going to have to be the guy might help a little bit, at least spread the ball around. And let's not forget Josiah Alec, who's probably, uh, you know, a first team type guy. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and, and they're, they're going to be, a, you know, there, there are certain styles of play that travel in the league and, and Kansas city certainly has one of those. Uh, and so we, you know, we've talked about USD, we've talked about Western and the talent that, that coach Jeter's assembling. Talking about Kansas City, their style of play. You look at UND, you know, you look at those last four. Um, North Dakota and Coach Sather um, losing Rabracha to the to the transfer portal. That's just, I, I'm disappointed from a, guy, a fan of the Summit League, you know, that we're not going to have a chance to watch him play one more year in the league. Omaha, uh, I, I think um, Zach touched on, on, on Coach Hansen's track record. Denver with a, you know, just a really uh, huge turnover of the roster. And then St. Thomas, this, this unknown wild card who's already making a splash with some recruits that we're not going to see this season. Um, I, I'm curious to see how this all plays out because it's never easy to go on the road in this league. I don't care if you're, you're favored to win the league. It is a, it, it's a grind, you know, 
Um, I'm ecstatic, I will say, coming up this season, Thursday and Saturday. Thursday yep. and Saturday, Thursday and Saturday. I think it's going to help attendance in the league, guys. Yep. Everybody knows that on Thursday and Saturday, there's going to be a game in that arena, whether it's a women's game or a men's game. If the men are on the road, the women are at home. Thursday and Saturday, you can actually start planning it. In this day and age of the, the schedules that are so busy and whatever, at least they can kind of mark it on their calendar. We're going to get to a, a, a Summit League game on Thursday or Saturday, and we're going to be able to watch somebody play. I think it's going to help, and, and consistency is what matters. The most important thing was getting to that 10-team league. Yeah. Yep, Maction on Wednesday, Summit League on Thursday, Northern <laughs> Sun on Friday, and we're back to Summit League on Saturday. So it's, it's going to be it's going to be great. Uh, Todd, I'm glad you brought up uh, Kansas City again. Uh, they had several players essentially not play last year, but they were high on a number of them. I believe there are some well-regarded recruits that really didn't make it on the floor for Kansas City, too. And they also have a, uh, a big 6'9 kid from Australia sports a fantastic mullet. It's yes, unbelievable yes. All, all hair. Between him and Josiah Alec, that's a lot of lettuce in the paint. So, <laughs> you know, it's a great place to start. That's, that's the type of analysis that I go to. But, you know, like I think – I mean, they have a well-rounded roster. I mean, they're, they're going to compete. I mean, nobody wants to play them on the second night on that on that Saturday night. Yeah, that's right. And by the way, I'm a big fan of mullets too, Zach. So thanks for bringing that up. That's right. I I, I would grow one, but there's not enough on the top. To <laughs> there's, there's, there's 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 no business in the front for for that to work. But uh, it's all party. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's all party. Yeah. <laughs> Which anyone that knows me isn't really the truth anymore. But, uh, <laughs> The, the, I want to bring up one more point, or, or, and then you guys can – so St. Thomas is an interesting first edition. I brought up la last week that uh, for the fan vote, and I think some of this is because of the recruiting class coming in uh, next year, which is the best ranked in the summit. It's it's an incredible recruiting class. Um, so they're getting some buzz even in, in preseason rankings. This year they, they did they, – they, uh, but if you look at the roster, they've got – two guys who've had played any division one basketball um, this season. And so this is, they're kind of fighting for all the D three guys that have said we, our competition is just a little bit below division one, especially our really good teams. You've got Courtney Brown who played at Milwaukee and, and started a, a decent amount while he was there. And then I'm going to Bennett. I apologize if I see your last name wrong, Bennett Kwasinski, a, a big kid, um, Six foot nine, but but doesn't doesn't weigh a whole lot for a guy that's six foot nine, and I think was a walk on at Siena. And then the rest is is that is is their roster from last year. That was a, a well D three was weird last year. They only played a handful of games, but uh, but what was that team that competed at the D three level? It will be really interesting in football. St. Thomas, especially when they play Pioneer level opponents is really doing a having a pretty good season it'll be really interesting to see that jump to d3 to um from d3 to d d1 this season yeah it's gonna be interesting to see how they how they hold up particularly rebounding and defensive wise i mean the one thing that is always very striking to me is just how big and physical every single player in the summit league is you cannot play in this league if you can't bench press 250 pounds can't do it you got to be pretty special if you can, but like, man, there are some full grown men and that's what I think is going to be the biggest deal here for, for St. Thomas is, you know, they have skill, like skill is not, not the issue. They have some decent players. It's just, can you get defensive rebounds against NDSU? You know, I mean, normal summer league teams have a hard enough time, you know, when uh, Nicholas Zizic and Costa Comateros are in the paint, how are you keeping both of them out of there when you're playing South Dakota? You know, there, there's some just tremendous uh, issues with just physicality um, that are out there. That is something that you can scheme around pretty much everything else other than that. Um, and, and so it's going to be a little bit of a learning process. They're going to battle. And like, like I said last week, they're probably going to win a couple games, but, but um, you're right. This is going to be fantastic uh, opportunity just to evaluate the different levels. I mean, this is unprecedented, right? There's no blueprint for what St. Thomas is trying to do here. This is uh, totally unprecedented. So uh, we all get a first uh, front row seat to it. Absolutely. And, and you know, 
St. Thomas, you know, the thing about D3 and D2, you're going to find a lot of people that can shoot it well. Yeah. Um, it, it comes down to St. Thomas's ability to spread the floor. They're going to have to be very efficient offensively. They're going to have to probably be towards the top of the league, three-point three percentage if they want to have some success in the league. And, and at the same time, there's no pressure on St. Thomas. They're going to come in here as that 10th team, and, and they know they're building for the future, and these kids are going to come out and play their tails off every night. So I'm looking forward to it. And, and, and this, in a way, talking about St. Thomas plays into one thing, and I'm going to lead into next week's podcast a little bit, Todd, if you don't mind. You know, one of the people that, you know, when you look at NDSU's returning roster and everything they have, their length, their skill, there's, there's one individual from Northern State, Andrew Coleman, who I think Dave Richmond was really happy to get him. That kid is going to make an impact for North Dakota State this year. Uh, North Dakota State dropped a little bit last year in three-point percentage. The kid can shoot it, but he's so smart. He's such a such an excellent player on the floor. So I don't mean to get specific so much because next week we're really going to get into dive into those first and second team all league teams. But uh, I, I'm really looking forward to it. But St. Thomas, you realize that sometimes, boy, there's some really good players at the D3 level and at the D2 level that could find a way to play in the Summit League. St. Thomas is out to prove that, you know what, most of their guys deserve the opportunity to play in this league. I'm, I'm excited to watch it play out. Yeah. So I, I wanted to say one more thing, and then we'll wrap to the to the interview with Coach Mills. Like Greg said, we're going to talk first and second team uh, next week. The other thing that of that is newsworthy, I did get it confirmed that St. Thomas will not be playing in the tournament this year, but will next year. Um, so we'll have all ten, 10 teams um, competing. I would assume that means with the nine teams, they'll they'll do what they did last year, that the ninth team will just not go to Sioux Falls. One of the things I want to talk about next week, though, is what the three of us think would be a good way to run a 10-team tournament that will be starting next week and and uh, or next year. And so just uh, food for thought for next week. If you guys have – those of you on Twitter have ideas what, what you would like to do, Shoot them to us, and we'll and we'll talk more about it. But with that, I let's roll to the interview with uh, Oral Roberts head coach uh, Paul Mills, and then we'll actually sign off for today, and we'll end with the interview with uh, which co- with Coach Mills. So uh, until next week. Well, everybody, we have a special guest on the podcast today. Joining us, Oral Roberts head coach, fresh off a of Sweet 16 um, trip in the tournament and conference tournament championship. Head coach Paul Mills. Coach, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So start out with that. Um, finish fourth in the conference on the standings in an interesting year, and then go on that that tournament run in the Summit League tournament in front of all eleven of us, and uh, and then the the run in the the ter- tournament itself. Any change in the approach this season, or or did you learn some things through that 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 changed your approach, or just the same as every other year? Yeah, I mean, one, I, I think that you're always learning. You're always trying to figure out, man, how do you better optimize your players? What are the things that that you can do well? And I think any time that you go into a program, and I'm honored to to be here going into my fifth year. When I first came in, it was we needed a talent upgrade. I mean, I was I was very much aware, having gone through it, having known TJ when he was at Iowa State and I was in the Big 12, I knew the job that he was doing at South Dakota State. Right. And after having gone through the league those first couple of years, you realized the talent that was required in order to be good. Uh, If you go back and look two years ago, the pre-COVID year, there were four guys from the conference who made NBA rosters, whether it be summer league or guys who made full-time rosters. And and so you realize that you had to have a a level of talent in order to be competitive. And I thought in year two, we had a group uh, who I believed in, but they were rookies. And if you're playing a bunch of freshmen, you're not going to win. And then those guys were juniors this past year. Uh, right. If you look at them, Francis Lotzes, Carlos Jurgens, um, Kevin O'Banner, DJ Weaver, all of those guys were a part of that initial class that we brought in. 
And then we just kind of added pieces along the way. What I feel good about is the stability of that group. Uh, we have a right. great core. We've been able to add pieces. We returned five of our top six players from a year ago and extremely excited about who they are as people, but having a better understanding of the league and what's required in order to win at this level was was extremely helpful even in those lean years. So back to your original question, uh, you're always learning, you're always growing. And in regards to how we play, it'll come down to kind of what suits us. Mm -hmm. um, Coach, I'm just gonna jump in on that. And, you know, this is, you kind of built up to the, the season that you had last year. You talked about that, you know, the players grew into those roles. And then the, now the, the new experience is you're gonna come back and, and you're gonna be the hunted this time. and. How do, you, how do you kind of challenge your guys along those lines to say, hey, it's a maybe a little bit different role, but, you know, the old adage, it's harder to stay good than to get good. Uh, what are some things that you and your staff are trying to, um, you know, kind of get your returners to understand heading into this season? Yeah, one, Greg, you know this, that you, um, who wants low expectations? <laughs> like, it, I mean, you, you better come in thinking that you're going to win you better come in doing the work and believing that you're going to win because one, nobody cares uh, what you did a year ago. Uh, nothing. It's old news. It's old news to us. Um, having talked to uh, coach Drew that they won a national championship at Baylor and, and uh, I was calling around and I said, Hey, tell me the best advice that you got. And he said he was advised by a number of coaches who won national championships to pick a date. And what they meant by that was pick a date in which you're going to stop talking about this stuff because nobody cares. Uh, our date for us was May 15th. Uh, we're done talking about a sweet 16. If I hear you mention it, uh, we'll run. Um, if you're not locked in on the season ahead, uh, there will be huge consequences. If somebody brings it up, we'll answer the question, but nobody cares and those days are past. So the reality is, is we had better get locked in on this new season. Everybody in my mind, we kind of wear a chip on our shoulder as people consider it a fluke. So you know what? Let's see. Let's see if it was a fluke. Uh, if you're really that arrogant and you want to continue to call us out and you think it was just we got lucky. OK, uh, let's go. Uh, let's see if this was actually the case. So our guys understand that they've been in the gym focused on that. I don't think anybody was sitting around talking about sweet 16. We haven't printed any t-shirts about it um, is what it is. It happened. It's over. Uh, let's get locked in on the year ahead because I actually know of no one who is actually picking us to win this league. And there are people who say they have better backcourts than us. Uh, there are people who say other teams have better front courts than us, and that is probably true. So guess what? We need to go prove otherwise on the court. There's a couple of things I was just picking out there. First, you're right. The threat of running is very convincing. Um, that's the tale of the oldest time, and uh, I always found that very convincing for me. So I, I, think, I think it's great that you're using that. Also, just picking out little things to hold on to to try to – uh, hold on to and motivate your players for whether or not being picked again to win this year, things like that. Motivational tactics. I, I love that. I think it works well. I think there's a lot of credence to what you're saying. And, um, and, and so the third thing is kind of going back to recruiting that you were talking about. And I, and I kind of want to dig into this a little bit because I'm, I'm a big recruiting guy. I love understanding it. I always kind of want to get inside, inside coaches' brains and try to figure out why do they pick the players that they do? You know, you guys have a lot of players that you could pick from. I think the, the situation that you guys have is very appealing. Um, and you, you're kind of in a, in a good spot geographically in terms of your reach. So how do you go about sifting through all the players out there to really zero in on the ones that are right for you and then recruiting them? Yeah, one, I'm a big believer in the New Zealand All Blacks theory, the great rugby team that says good people make good players. So you want to find good people. Uh, you and I know a lot of players who are probably good at basketball, but they're knuckleheads off the court. Mm -hmm. um, I heard Dick Bennett say one time, and having visited with Tony about this, 
he said that find players that you want to lose with because those first couple of years are going to be lean. And we were able to identify guys um, who we knew we were going to lose. Uh, we knew it was going to be tough. Uh, I saw Mike Dom uh, for two years and I knew we didn't have that caliber of guy here, but I wanted to be around guys who after we lost would get in the gym, would spend time getting better. We're not going to sit around making excuses. So for me, we were able to identify a number of really good people. And because they were such good young men, they kept working and kept working and kept believing and doing the things necessary. And I was visiting with our strength coach the other day, and, and he's been with me four of the five years here. And he told me the other day, he said, I have not ever enjoyed working with a group of young men like the current group we have. And I think that helps all of our stability and emotion, as Greg will tell you. Uh, if you're around a bunch of knuckleheads, it's hard. But we're, we're very blessed to be around just wonderful, wonderful guys. And, and to their credit, they put in a lot of time and work. And, and just to kind of follow up on that, from an outsider's perspective, it seems sort of like the secret sauce is you guys got a bunch of really good basketball players that had a lot of options. You guys have a lot of options. These players have a lot of options. You guys chose each other for a reason. And it was, seems to be a little bit more than basketball. These guys are almost kind of like on a mission being here. And that seems to be what kind of carries them through it. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Like what, like how do you get some of these players that want a little bit more from the college experience? Yeah. Well, I mean, you go to college to prepare for your future. So you go to study accounting to be an accountant, you go to study engineering to be an engineer. Our guys want to be pros. I want to help them. Uh, if you want to use your God-given abilities in order to make money, I want to help you. And so we try to identify guys who wants to be a pro and who wants to do it inside of a winning team environment. Uh, if you don't want to be a pro, uh, you're probably not going to enjoy being at ORU. I heard the Miami Heat uh, players who were no longer there said, if you don't like basketball, you will not like playing for the Miami Heat organization. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I want that kind of environment. If you do not enjoy doing the right thing and getting the most out of your talent, you will hate it at ORU uh, because we want to put everything in our power to push you forward to get the most out of your abilities. And, and so from that, in that regard, I think we've identified a bunch of young men who um, are very blessed and they understand that, hey, I could eat a steak uh, one of two ways. I can put it in the microwave and then two minutes later you can eat it or we can marinate it overnight allow it to cook at the proper degree, and then it'll be ready in 24, 48 hours. Either way, you're eating. Just one is going to be a lot more delightful than the other. So we have to explain to our guys that this is a long process, and this isn't add water and this stuff instantly happens. So you're constantly explaining to your guys. Some of them are further along than others, but this goal of getting to where we're trying to get to as a program and as a player takes time. Coach, I wanted to talk real briefly about a player that isn't on your roster anymore, but it was integral to your team last year and kind of fits into that. You talked about wanting players that are good people and every interaction I had with him that he sure seemed to be that and are looking to be pros and that's Kevin O'Banner. Um, is, was that part of the process with him looking towards his and, and your kind of guidance towards that, looking towards his next step in his basketball career as far as transferring? And then what, what does it kind of look like on your team in replacing that production and, and quality player? I don't understand the original question. Are you asking so, if it was the intention for him to transfer? No, just asking, what does that look like? When, when you said you want players to, to look to be pros, was that part of the discussion with him on, on looking towards the next step of his basketball career? Um, you know, not necessarily should he transfer or not, but looking towards what might be the best step for him next. Yeah, I mean, it's a discussion with all of our players. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, every single player we're trying to identify 
if you look at it from an NCAA statistical standpoint, 19.1% uh, of all Division I college players play professionally. So very, some of them have the opportunity to play in the NBA, but basketball is a much different sport than, than say football. I think there's only Canada that probably else plays professional football besides the NFL. Uh, baseball, I think there's Asia and then America and some in, in the South American countries. Fortunately for basketball, it's such a global sport and guys can play in a variety of places. And so we have, uh, we have 11 uh, guys who've been here through the last few years who are currently playing professionally. And so I think we talked to all of them. Um, love Kevin, and we obviously wish him well. So um, he, 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 he added a lot of value. Uh, I don't think you ever try to replace anybody. I, I mean, that, I think that's kind of a foolish way to think, from my opinion, is I'm not trying to go out and find a replacement for whoever the player may be. I don't think sure. you could ever replace Michael Jordan. Uh, I don't think you could ever replace the, you know, Kobe Bryant of guys once they retire, what does that look like? So for me, it's just, hey, how do you assemble a team um, that's going to be able to get the most? If you look at it last year, the group that was 32 points better than any other lineup we put on the floor, 12 better offensively, 20 better defensively, was the five we have returning, DJ Francis, Carlos, Kareem, and Max. Uh, they played 73 possessions together, which isn't a ton, but if you compare it to any other lineup, they were our best lineup. And so to have that five on the court, knowing that they've done it at a really high level and they've done it together before, I mean, I'll go back to our conference tournament and we had um, the Kevin, Kevin O'Banner was in foul trouble. Uh, I think right. he had four or five points the first game against North Dakota. Uh, he didn't play against South Dakota State very much. He got a tip in late. Um, and, and then if you look at the North Dakota State game, no offense to Kevin, but um, we, we were up nine when he went to the bench and, and then we stretched it to 25. And then when he played the second half, um, that things, I think a lot of that had to do with fatigue and my mismanagement, but we have very good players here. And uh, I, I, I like the five returners that we have. Coach, I talk uh, a little bit about that. And yeah, you talk about those games, it's, you get, you get that big lead. There's nothing scarier than a team with nothing to lose. When they're starting to come out, that comeback, you're just trying to find a way to, to keep the water behind the dam. And, and you guys did that. And, and the maturity and the level they played with, I hate talking about individuals, but I, I'd be crazy not to talk about talk about my, Max Aismas. And by the way, when that shot left his hand, I, I would bet your paycheck and Zach's, everybody else's paycheck, that that thing goes in about seven out of ten times. And uh, But just – what he's done and you've got a good a nice group of returners but as far as you know what what max brings back what are some areas he seems like a guy that's going to come to you and say coach what do i need to do what do i need to do to help our team take the next step what are some things that you've talked to him about and the rest of you guys yeah i mean one to max's credit he's gained 12 pounds so he is 162 he's now 174 um he's increased his speed and he's increased his ex explosivity um, a lot of times when they gain 12 pounds, they're not as explosive. They get slower. Um, shout out to our strength coach here, Ashton Mirapol, who's done a phenomenal job in just getting him ready. I'll tell you the other thing that happens, and I'm sure, you know, guys who've gone through the NBA combine and, and, and I've been blessed. Um, our staff here has coached 29 NBA players. Uh, so we've been around a number of guys and, and having been around guys who've gone to the combine and didn't, then decided to come back, they have a better idea about what's required of them. Um, and I think the game has slowed down for them because you spend all this time all summer working out with NBA players. And then you come back to these college guys and you're like, man, there's an easier flow. There's a better understanding. So he's gained weight. The game has slowed down for him. And the reality is, is, is we go to Max a lot and show him things on film. And, and honest to goodness, it is one time. 
and I don't have to repeat it. I don't have to show them again. I was telling one of our assistant coaches the other day, he's new, um, Kenton Polino played at Texas and, and is here and, and Kenton played professionally. And, and he said, I've never seen anything like this where you show a kid one time on film and he's got it. And, and it, it honestly, we've run out of things to show him. Uh, it's like, oh my goodness, he's already picked that up. Um, and, and so for us, we are taking him a lot of stuff, but he picks things up real quick. And some guys, it takes them four years and you're just, you're explaining the same concept over and over. And they're not where other players are mentally. He's a 3.72 biomedical chemistry major and, and he can pick up things. He, he's smarter than I am. So, uh, and I don't consider myself all that smart, but uh, most of my players are smarter than I am, but he's way smarter than all of us. So uh, he figures it out pretty quickly, but we're constantly showing him things and uh, he's constantly digesting it. So Max Smith is bigger, stronger, faster, and smarter than he was last year. It's kind of a scary prospect for the rest of the conference. It's just like, all right, where do you start? You try to at least maybe take away one thing. I don't know. I always felt like one of your guys' biggest strengths is you guys just have a well-balanced team. Like you said, the talent level on your roster is really high. I mean, there's a lot of guys that can play. There's only one basketball. So putting it together is always going to be fun. Obviously, starting with Max Smith is, is a great place to start. We're pretty familiar, and I think the listeners at home are pretty familiar with a lot of your starters that you're returning that will probably continue to play a lot of minutes. But maybe talk about some of the newcomers that may be competing for a little bit of playing time in your guys' rotation. Yeah, just from a basketball standpoint, if you have no rooting interest in the Summit League and you were just a basketball fan, you will love Trey Phipps. Uh, Trey Phipps can shoot it. He is a coach's son. He started his freshman year at Oklahoma, and I think it's hard for any freshman to play in the Big 12. And he was able to get a little bit of time, but decided to come here. And I'm just telling you, he's fun to watch. Uh, I get caught up sometimes just watching him and Max together. But I think he's got a savviness to him. He can really shoot the ball. He was a high-level player. And he, he, everybody who comes in here always says he's bigger than what I anticipated. And I think he's fun. Isaac McBride uh, started his career at Kansas and before the season ever started left, was a 42% shooter when he transferred to Vanderbilt in the SEC. And so I think adding Isaac McBride, who can also do a lot off the bounce, uh, one of the things we talk about here is a verse that's mentioned in Proverbs 27 that says iron sharpens iron. And so to watch Max and Isaac McBride go against each other every day, uh, it's fun um, for me. And I, I, I think what they realized is last year, Max would kind of dominate the second team. Um, sometimes we always play best versus best. We don't ever, uh, we constantly want our guys to go against each other, but to have Isaac McBride and Max every day is, is good to watch. And then watching the other matchups, Carlos Jurgens against uh, Trey Phipps, and Carlos is one of the better defenders on our team. And then Kareem Thompson and DJ Weaver. And then I'll tell you that we have a player, Sir Isaac Heron, um, who had multiple SEC offers, who the, the league doesn't have a lot of top-of-the-square athletes. It's really skilled but it doesn't have a lot in the neighborhood of, of elite athletes. He is an elite athlete and is a top of the square athlete, can go get it, is great around the rim. We didn't have that last year because we didn't have guys who could go fetch a basketball. I think we were the worst rebounding team of junior high, high school, junior college, uh, whoever played basketball last year. Uh, we, were, we were dead last. And so to have a guy like, some of that's just athleticism. You just got to have guys who can go fetch it, and uh, he can go fetch it. Coach, you brought up Carlos Jurgens, and I just wanted to mention him again. The, the defense he played in that NCAA tournament was was something special, and his name just doesn't get brought up that often. Love Carlos. He played for his national team this past summer. And so when you're playing for your national team and there as the Estonian national team has been together for a while. So they had 
27, 28, 29, 30-year-olds, and he was on that squad and contributing. And to watch his maturation through the years, after his freshman year, we thought maybe he would be able to play, and then we decided to redshirt him his sophomore year. And I just told him that we can look at this redshirt year one of two ways. Um, and he talked to a number of NBA players who decided that they should redshirt, and he so embraced his, his redshirt year. Then last year, I thought that he just understood his role, what he's trying to, to do. And he's always approached this the right way, but just what he is offensively, he understands. And then who he needs to be defensively, he understands. I can remember uh, one of, I have a very good friend who's with the Chicago Bulls called me and said, your two best defensive players are from Europe. Uh, you need to stop recruiting Europe offensively and recruit defensively because you guys are so bad. And, and Carlos and Francis uh, do that and they embrace it. And I'm telling you, expect a big year out of Carlos Schurgens. You, you saw some of that during the tournament because people are going to take away Max's opportunities. And I think we deepened our bench um, to allow us to do some things. But uh, Carlos Jurgens is a joy to be around. He, he always struck me as a very self-aware player. You know, like you said, like expect more for, out of him. I think he kind of understood that, hey, we have Kevin O'Banner, we have Max A. Smith. I need to stick to my role. This year, you're right. There's some shots out there available, and it wouldn't surprise me if he takes those and makes them. Um, you're seeing a lot of uh, uh, a foreign flair to your roster, like you said. Is there something to that? Is that a concerted effort? How do you go about that? Yeah, I mean, if you look at our roster, uh, we have seven from overseas and then pretty much everybody else is from Texas. Um, we, we got a guy from Arkansas and a guy from Oklahoma sprinkled in uh, Alabama, but everybody's pretty much Texas or, or, or Europe. Um, some of it is, is deliberate. I, I think of the 196 countries represented in the world, 125 of them are represented here on campus. So ORU has a very international uh, feel as an institution. And I've been to Europe a dozen times and I always come away amazed at the basketball that's being played there and how it's much further along skill-wise. And so to have a league, if you look at the Summit League, the last decade, not one, two, three, four years, the last decade, it's number one in threes, number one in twos, number one in free throws, offensive efficiency, effective field goal. So skilled players do really well in this league. And I think you see that with a lot of European players is you have a number of guys who are really skilled, can shoot, pass, and handle, but they're also really good teammates. And I think that comes from they're so focused on their team and representing their country that when they get to something and attach themselves to something else, they're all in because that's what they know. And so to have those kind of guys um, in, in the six that we have, um, four Europeans, a Canadian and a Haitian, um, it, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah, and this isn't um, an indictment of the AAU culture because obviously there's a full range of spectrums of good um, experiences in the, in the AAU circuit, not, but clearly there's a different path for American players than those foreign players. Um, any, any further thoughts on that? Well, I will tell you that anytime that from an AAU perspective, I think the NBA game, if you go watch, it is dribble, 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 middle pick and roll, and then a play is being made. Whereas when you watch a middle pick and roll in Europe, it's all done off of a live ball dribble. You go, you throw them the ball, and then that's where the bounce begins. A lot of times when you watch the NBA players, James Harden, Kyrie, Steph, is they're dribbling the entire time, and then the middle pick and roll happens. And so I think these guys are somewhat used to having live ball pick and roll situations. And we were number one in the country last year in middle pick and roll. Uh, it helps when you have a player like Max Asmus and you're like, hey, let's set a lot of screens for this guys. Uh, it's not that complicated as a coach. Um, and so, hey, get that dude free, all right? And, and let's see what happens. 
And I think how the others respond to that um, European basketball is very suited for it. And a lot of those guys, um, they come in understanding it. I forgot. I said four Europeans earlier. We actually had five. We have a guy from Slovenia. Coach, I'm gonna, I, I can talk about your team all day, but I, you know, sometimes I, I think about the league standpoint and I've always called the summit, hey, this is a, a one bid league. So you schedule accordingly. You, you maybe take some young teams, help them grow up in your non-conference schedule. But I, I think this league continues to develop and grow. And, and you know, if, if you're running the league, take it over for Tom Dupo, how are you going to make this a multi-bid league? A lot of that has to do with scheduling, things along those lines. And it's not easy to, to become one, but I, I, do, I still don't think the Summer League is far away from it. They've done it on the women's side. How do we do it on the men's side? Well, I, I think that you have to understand scheduling. And, and Tom, to his credit, as uh, a few years back, brought in the commissioner of the NCAA tournament um, and, and helped educate a number of us. And he kind of talked through what are the things that are required. Uh, if, you, if you understand scheduling, non-D1s help your schedule. If you start playing RPI teams below 300, um, they hurt your overall net. The good thing about non-D1s is they don't count against your net. So, for instance, a situation like ours a year ago where we were 0-5 in the non-conference, had played five teams who went on to the NCAA tournament, our net, I think it was either first or second in our conference, but we were ahead of Duke, we were ahead of Kentucky, and, and we had played three non-D ones. So I do think that there's an education standpoint about how to schedule so you're not hurting your net ranking. And I think that if you don't understand that, that's the difference between us being a 15 seed and a 16 seed. I can't tell you, I'm not telling you that had we been a 16, we weren't gonna try to win. I'm just telling you that sometimes those paths are harder. And so how do you put yourself in a net situation that allows you to, to move forward and understanding quads uh, and all that's involved in that? And so we spend a lot of time on it. Um, it's probably about 30 minutes of my day every single day of going through quads. Our schedule changed about every three days uh, during the last four months based sure. on who became available and what opportunity. So educate. Uh, and I think the league does it. I think the commissioner, Tom, has been super supportive in assisting us and helping us understand what's required. But there also has to be, um, you have to win. And the reality is the Summit League teams are going to have to win on the road. And that's not easy to do. Um, if you go look at anybody's record on the road, uh, it's probably a losing record. And, and so you're going to have to win some on the road. Eventually, though, you're going to have to get to a point to where can you get quad one, quad two games at home to give you a better chance. And that's probably down the road. Uh, it's a lot easier said than done. But I think some of your bigger budget institutions as moving forward, hopefully we can continue to, to do well, um, whether it be on national TV, uh, some football programs continuing to do well in order to allow quality teams that you could schedule at home. Yeah, so I think, you know, for our listeners at home, there's a couple of big takeaways there. One, just how fluid the scheduling situation is and how much thought goes into it. It's not just, hey, who's local, who's answering their phone, that type of thing. Very strategic. And after a certain point, it's it's almost better to play like a Division two team than it is like a below 300 net ranked team, right? Uh, it is better too. Yeah, that's not a yeah, that's not yeah. even a question. Um, the obviously the lower the net team you play, the more it's going to hurt you. So so here's the reality: Power Five teams will play 300 plus. They'll pay those guys, right? Yeah. Um, I think Alabama just paid Southern Miss 1.9 million to come play them in football. Um, and so, and so those schools, uh, basketball doesn't pay that much. Uh, and, and so those schools are going to go play 300 plus. Well, the reality is, is we need to stay away from 300 plus. Um, we don't need to play those teams because they're going to drag your net lower and we need to play. So when we go buy teams, 
we're not trying to buy 300 plus. You're trying to buy teams that at the end of the day have no impact on your net. Um, unless you could buy a team that's in the 150s, 200s, 250s. Um, and I don't know how many of the institutions in this league have that kind of money. Do you, do you feel like because of the economic impact of COVID and the pandemic and all that, that pay games are a little less available this year? Well, I think uh, everything will get back to normal in a year. The reality about our year this year is we have not scheduled one single game the entire year up until we scheduled Colorado State. Everything that we had played, we weren't able to schedule. Um, people were waiting until July 7th to see what our roster looked like uh, before anybody would make any commitments. And then when this Max Acemas kid, whoever he is, decided to come back, uh, nobody would take our calls anymore. And so the reality is, is everybody thinks, hey, why don't you go play so-and-so? One, it's probably not an option. Their schedule is probably already full. And then two, nobody's going to pay you to come in if you have a chance of can stay within a certain threshold. So you're limited. South Dakota State is limited in who they can play. And, and we didn't schedule a single game this year until it got to panic time. And we were fortunate to get Colorado State. Everything was postponed from COVID. So TCU, that we're playing them this year. That was scheduled to be the year before, but we had to postpone it. Everything. Um, we have we have how many? We have two by games. We normally have seven um, in the previous years. This year we only have two. And then everything else is a home and home uh, minus some non-D ones. So I think our schedule, it's the first time um, this decade and only the third time this century that ORU has more home games than road games. And I think that's what everybody's trying to create. Hey, how can I be at home, get better, thrive as a team without some of the travel that's involved? And I think our league has done a better and better job uh, of that moving forward, as I've seen with a number of the schools uh, throughout the conference. Yeah, I was very curious to see how your non-conference schedule was going to sort of round out because you know, on one hand, you have this higher profile team who was in the NCAA tournament last year and names that people know and remember. But on the other hand, they also don't really want to entertain the option of getting beat either. So it's like, okay, you kind of have to balance this out. But I mean, it looks like your schedule rounded up pretty nicely. I mean, it should be a nice array of challenges for you. I, I love our schedule. I actually yeah. think it's as good as we've done here. Uh, Scott Drew at Baylor. When I worked for him, he said the two biggest things you'll do are recruiting and scheduling. And I never understood the scheduling piece until year three. And then I understood it uh, or had a better understanding of it. And, and so some of that is, is you're more mindful about all that goes into it. But I, I can tell you that coaches lose sleep at night uh, thinking about scheduling and what it looks like. Greg's back there laughing. It clearly is. Greg understands. Yeah, yeah. Greg, Greg, Greg gets it. Yeah. Yeah, if we're on the other hand, I literally have to go rewrite an article for the website where I was critiquing a bunch of schedules after this discussion. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. Ask Greg. Ask Greg. Anybody who's ever done scheduling. Will, and then if you can understand it from a net perspective and, and how it places yourself in conference, well, um, it, it really helps. The best part is I, I was docking teams for scheduling non D ones. And then as you said that, I'm like, that makes perfect sense, but boy, teams would, need to yeah. play like seven non D ones <laughs> so that our net goes through the roof, play like two power fives, right. and like 11, uh, and your, and your net will be like in the top 30. <laughs> what, what, what do you think about these MTEs? You know what I mean? Like, uh, is it a pretty efficient way? I mean, a bump in uh, the net rating, I got to believe, uh, and, and kind of also from a, uh, cost perspective, you get two, three solid games right in a row. You know, how do you feel about that as a coach? Kind of, it's, it sort of simulates the postseason almost. Yeah, um, man, I've had uh, long discussions with Rick Bird at Belmont, and and uh, used to be at, at Wofford. He's now at Virginia Tech, Coach Young, and and uh, I would always ask him, how come you never play in tees? And, and, and I thought Coach Bird and where they always ranked at Belmont on the MTE side, 
uh, where Coach Young and what they did at Wofford, uh, they were able to win games in the NCAA tournament. And I would quiz them nonstop. Rick Bird is on speed dial for me. And uh, MTs, I'm not a fan of. I'm not a fan of them for for mid-majors. You have to get in the right one. Um, But if you're going to go play two power fives on their court, uh, and then you're going to play two more neutral opponents. Probably one of them on uh, one of the one of the other host schools is going to be on their court. That's not advantageous in my mind. It isn't. It hasn't been for us. Um, and 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 if you can get in a tournament, um, Maui, we had some things fall through where we were going to be in New York City. Um, playing some power fives in Big East. And at the last second, some things fell through. So I think you have to pick the right one for your school and your situation. But it isn't that the reality is, is on these MTEs, the higher profile ones, um, they're already done for 2025. Uh, We don't know what we're going to do, what our roster looks like in 2026, nor do they. And, and so it's a little bit of a, of a hit when you're at a mid-major because you don't know your roster moving forward. Uh, you know, will you have another NBA caliber guy? Uh, it, it's hard to tell. So it, it's really hard for schools who have quality programs to just jump into quality MTEs, given that these are done so far in advance. Awesome. Well, coach, we told you we'd keep you about 30 minutes and I think we're already on 40. Um, so we won't uh, take up more of your busy time, but we really appreciate you spending the time uh, giving our listeners some insight into the program. Todd, Greg, Zach, thank you guys very much. Appreciate all you do to promote the student athletes in the summit league and the institutions here. So thank you. Thanks coach. Wish you the best. Coach.